0: Welcome to Innovators Unleashed. Join your host, leadership expert, Clinton Henry, as he embarks on a journey through the realm of talent leadership, engaging
1: with trailblazing thought leaders from around the world. Here's your host, Clinton Henry. Today, I had the pleasure of sitting down with Mark Hirschberg, a leading voice in the world of career development. Our engaging conversation revolved around the significance of career planning, the art of networking, and the responsibilities of leadership. Let's dive in. So Mark, I'm so excited to have you on because I think you addressed something that many of our listeners combat, both you know, within their own lives, but also with the people they manage. And can you just talk briefly about the importance of career plans and you know, the, the value that they play um, within personal development, but also with the development of your team?
0: Think for a moment about your projects at work. Imagine if some senior executives came to you and said, here is a really big project. You've got a year to work on it. What would you do? Would you say, okay, sounds good. I'll see you in a year, cross your fingers, hope we get there. That's insanity. Instead, you say, let's create a plan. Let's have a project plan, what we're going to do when. Now, we don't know what we're doing on day 273. But I know in detail what we're doing maybe the first month, maybe two months. And then we've got some placeholders later on, and we'll do check-ins. And we know whatever plan we create day one isn't going to work, but that's okay. We'll adjust. This is how we do our projects. That's how we ensure success or at least minimize the risk of failure. And yet when it comes to our careers, something that's not one year out but 10, 20 years out, We just cross our fingers and say, well, let's hope we get there in a few years. In fact, the same techniques that we use on our project plans, we can use in our careers to say, let's minimize the risk and increase the chances of success because your career is the biggest project you're ever going to work on.
1: That's fascinating. And I've I've never heard it put exactly that way, but yeah, it is it is uh, your career effectively is a uh, can totally be like a waterfall type project or potentially agile if you have a mid-career you know kind of pivot right um but yeah that that makes perfect sense when uh speaking with people that i know that are in in um, organizations or fields that are very structured like medicine right where everything is very mapped out med school residency fellowship right and then your first years of practice those people seem very you know Kind of surprised when, when you, when you talk to them about kind of how you're trying to navigate the, the career field and landscape, you know, when you're working with someone. on developing their own career plan who hasn't put a lot of thought on it before. What are you asking them at the very beginning to consider?
0: We can, again, use some of our project planning techniques. Let's look to the future. What does success look like? Now, for most people, there are a few common pitfalls. They'll say, well, I want to be a VP in the next 10 years. And that's it. That's the entire plan. So we have to backtrack. We have to say, well, if you want to be a VP 10 years out, we know a VP you need to – I'm going to use size of team as an example. That's just one, one metric. VPs at this company manage teams of 100 people. No one's going to say, well, you've never managed people before. Now you can be a VP. Or you've only managed 5 people, but now we'll put you in charge of 100 before you can manage 100 people. At some point, you need to have managed maybe not 100, but 60, 70 people somewhere within striking distance. And that might be a junior VP, AVP director. And of course, before you manage 60 people, you're going to need to demonstrate you've managed 30 people. Maybe that's at a director level. And so we can backtrack. To get to some low level position of, okay, your 1st management job and you're managing a team of 5 people, perhaps. And so we can recognize if this is where I want to be in 10 years, where do I need to be 7, 8 years out? Where do I need to be 5 to 6 years out? And we can backtrack again, just like our projects. If we need to deliver by December 31st, where do we need to be by the end of November end of September? So we can put in these milestones. And now we can aim for these intermediary goals. The other challenge when people think about career plans is often they just look at the title. You gave the example of doctors. Doctors are a great example because little kids grow up and they say, oh, I want to be a doctor. I want to take care of sick people. Or they see doctors on TV and you see that drama. That looks exciting. If you talk to an actual doctor in private practice, oh my God, so much paperwork and dealing with the insurance companies. And let's not forget you have to manage staff and you have to go find new patients and marketing. They didn't talk about any of this in med school. There's a lot of tasks that go with a job that we don't talk about that can make it exciting or a living hell. So recognize when there's some job of the future you're thinking about, that VP job, you know what? 60% of your days will be spent in meetings. Is that what you really want to do? Maybe not. So understand the nature of the role before you step into it. Very
1: interesting. Um, You know, when we talk about navigating and building up a career, there there are some things that go into that that your content really speaks to, Um, specifically around, you know, networking and, and building those sort of muscles. What advice do you have to people that, you know, kind of have a rough idea of where they want to end up and maybe don't have that networking skill set. What are some things they can do to help develop that as as they increase those professional skills?
0: There is an old African proverb, if you can walk, you can dance. If you can talk, you can sing. And I would add to that, if you have a friend, you can network. Because networking is really about relationships. We have this unfortunate view that we get from I'm not sure where, maybe some of it comes from TV, maybe just from society this view of that salesperson who walks into a conference, an hour later he comes back with a dozen business cards, like, "Oh, he's a master networker. That's not networking. That's introductions. The example I often give, especially when I talk to younger students, I talk to them about dating apps. Now, whether you've used a dating app or not, you're probably familiar with it. You pull out your app, and what do you do? You start swiping. If I swipe right on someone and she swipes right on me, oh, look, I just matched with Karen. Imagine if I said to you, oh, look, Karen, we swiped right. She's my girlfriend. You say, no, Mark, you're insane. She's not your girlfriend. She's someone who expressed interest. You need to start dating her. Then she can be your girlfriend. And yet we think I got this person's business card or I connected to him on LinkedIn We're networked. It's just as crazy. You need to build that relationship just like you have to do so with Karen. So, what you just need to tap into is your own ability to talk to people, to meet people, to form relationships. They don't have to be your friend that you're hanging out and going to baseball games on weekends, but it is about getting to know someone over time. And all of us are capable of doing that. The catch, especially for introverts, is you think, oh, conference room, 1,000 people, this is overwhelming. You know what, it may be, but you can meet people one-on-one. You can sit down for coffee, you can meet people in more quiet areas, whether it's a first meeting or getting to know them. The conference is an efficient space for extroverts, but that's not the only space you have to use. So just think about building relationships. That's really smart.
1: Now, um, when when we talk about leaders uh, within organizations, How people often don't go to school uh, and and are taught to be leaders that they're they're basically subject matter experts, they're high performers, and they get thrust into leadership. And so there's been a trend to, you know, probably not be the have the strongest leadership capabilities and these individuals are being thrust into leadership. So how do you address people that, you know, are now in leadership, they're new leaders, but maybe don't feel like they they know what that what's required. They might have some gaps.
0: The biggest reason we get this is because the jump from individual contributor to first level manager is the biggest change. If you think about your job in the first 10, 15 years or so, you're given a scope of work and that scope gets bigger and bigger, or you're more senior, you can handle bigger projects. And then all of a sudden you transition to managing others. It's no longer you have to solve the problem, it's you need to get the team to solve the problem and it's a different set of skills, whereas you've been rewarded for just doing what you've done, solving those problems bigger and faster. So you have to do this all of a sudden left turn to a completely different skill set of managing, motivating, leading, communicating. And it's okay to say, hey, I don't have all these skills. I'm not sure all of what I'm doing. I've been doing this and teaching this for decades, And I don't claim that I know everything about this. I still learn the professors. I work with still learn. So don't don't be afraid. Don't be thrown off by saying, oh, my God, I don't know everything I'm doing. But step 1 recognizing there are these other skills. It's going out and building this skill set. And that's what's key. And it's listening to podcasts like this reading books engaging and talking with others and we'll probably talk a little bit about how you can develop a training program for yourself and your team and your organization
1: that's an excellent segue because that was my next question right so we are most people that listen to this are, are some form of leadership and you know while we can focus on our own career plans really one part of leadership it, especially management is to find the people that are going to come after you and set them up for success. So it's about building um, and scaling up, uh, you know, career plans not just for yourself but for your team and building these additional skills. How do you build an
0: organization that teaches this and has it a, a part of its culture? I'm going to give you the techniques that we use at MIT and that are used at top business schools to develop these skills in yourself and your team. The key is to recognize there are two different types of learning. The first is just information transfer. If you're an accountant, every year you probably go and listen to some webinar. Here are the updates in the tax law. Say, oh, okay, well, now we can deduct this. We can change that. Good to know. And just gather the information, filed away in your head. And at some point, you'll look at someone's tax filing and say, oh, important information. We can deduct something different this year. But these skills, leadership, team building, communication, these, it's not knowledge. There's no three things to do and you're magically a leader. This is more akin to sports. I can teach you the rules of basketball in an afternoon, but it's going to take you a lifetime to master them. And so these skills are best learned by doing, by trying, by practicing. When we play basketball, what do we do? we have scrimmage games, we run drills, we might even watch the tape and reflect and get feedback and coaching. Unfortunately, in most corporate jobs, if you get any training at all, it's, hey, congratulations on being a manager, go to this program for two days, great, now you know everything, you're done. We'd never do it with a basketball player, we'd never say, join the team, I'm gonna send you away for a clinic for two days, okay, you're set for the season, no more practice for you, you're just ready to play. So we want to create that within our teams, and here's how you can do so. Create peer learning groups. Now, there is no cost to doing so. You create teams. I recommend teams of about six, seven people, but there's ways you can scale it up if you wanna do so. You create these teams, you want them to be diverse, not only classic diversity, you don't want all men or all women, but you also want different functional areas. Don't put all your engineers in one team and salespeople on another get those diverse perspectives, put them together, give them some content. Now, yes, you can use my book and we break down, here's how the book can be used in different ways. If you don't wanna use my book, use a different book. If you don't wanna buy a book, use a great podcast like this, each section, they're going to listen to a podcast episode or a different podcast or read an article, so you don't have to buy anything. And then you come together and discuss what you learn, because it's in that discussion where we talk about leadership and, oh, that was an interesting approach, I hadn't thought of it. And someone says, well, I tried that and here's what worked, here's what didn't. And we can start to explore the deeper facets of these skills because it's not do this, that's right, that's wrong. And it's in that discussion that they learn. You can do this once or twice a month for an hour, so very low cost in terms of time, obviously no financial cost, Now you get four amazing benefits. First, you're upskilling your team. You're developing these skills in your organization. Second, you increase engagement. Today, we know employees aren't just looking for a paycheck. They want companies to care about them and to help them grow and develop. You're doing that. This is going to help with your retention. Third, we talked about networking earlier. Internal networking is actually really important. Getting to know people within the organization, outside of your functional area, because you're bringing people from different teams, you're developing those internal networks. And finally, you are creating a common language. If, for example, you use the book, good to great, then they talk about the hedgehog model. And if we've all read this. I can say to you, hey, let's use the hedgehog model here. And you say, yep, I know exactly what you mean. We have that common language. So four benefits, no cost. You can upskill your entire team this way. That's great advice. Thank you for that. When, you know,
1: you use the, uh, the basketball analogy before, at the, you know, in basketball, they, they have championships, right? So you kind of know who, you know, when, when you've reached the pinnacle, how do you self-judge? um when you don't have that how do you know when you're doing a good job how do you get feedback on, on, about yourself um, to see where you are and kind of where the
0: the gaps lie i'm going to recommend a technique for my friend dory clark who's a wonderful business book writer she said go to your peers and say give me three adjectives that describe me give me three words they don't have to be as i think in her version three words that you would use to describe me and you go out to lots of different people and you put this all together and by the way if you feel i'm not going to get clear feedback you could potentially have this done anonymously through some online form maybe this is a program you set up in hr where you say they're going to do it they're going to manage for each person or each person at this level the three word feedback and then you get this bucket of words you'll notice they're going to be some overlap, some similarity. So, well, a lot of people say this about me, and a few people say some of these other things. Well, the things they say, hopefully they're good things. You say, okay, that's my strength. That's how people perceive me. Or if it's a weakness, bad with details, okay, well, clearly I need to work on that. Or micromanager, okay, I have to address that. I There's a shortcoming. So you can use this to recognize where you're strong or weak, or at least how you are perceived. If you feel no, that's not the right perception of me. Well, then you at least need to change it, even if you don't feel you have to address your skills. But this is a very easy, low lift effort to get that first level of feedback. Oh, that's wonderful, thank you. So the, uh, you know, I-, I love that you
1: close with that because I I think what what your content covers and what your book really talks about. Is there are a lot of techniques and tools out there. there's not just one thing, that right? you can do these little things across the spectrum that are going to get you up, uh, get you in, in, to an endpoint where you're very satisfied with. What's the, been the reaction that you've gotten from people that have adopted this? I know that you know, a lot of uh, large corporations um, leverage this book. I know this is obviously taught at MIT. What, what, is, what, what has been your experience and
0: feedback? Let me give an example. Uh, which ties into what you were just saying about these small techniques and the impact they have. We're gonna pull from the negotiation chapter. Imagine you're 25 years old and you have a job offer for $60,000. But instead of taking that job, you say, oh wait, I've learned to negotiate. And you go and you talk to your future manager and you negotiate thousand dollars more, 61,000. That's a five, 10 minute conversation, pretty easy. And now you just got $1,000 more. We can imagine that lift. If you do nothing else in your career, if you stay in that job for the next 40 years, that five, 10 minutes of work just got you $1,000 more for 40 years. You just earned $40,000 in a matter of minutes. But of course, you're not staying in that job for 40 years. You'll have promotions and raises, and you'll get larger raises. You'll get more money. If you learn to negotiate, just getting a little bit better, we're not talking about you're solving the midi's peace issue, you just got a little bit better at negotiating, suddenly you can add tens of thousands or hundreds of thousands of dollars to your lifetime earnings. Now, I use the example with negotiations because we can do that math, but this in fact applies to everything. If you get just a little bit better at communicating or at leading or a slightly bigger network, it's not that someone says, well, here's a thousand dollars more, but your network brings you slightly more opportunities some of which are better your leadership stands out among the other people and you get the promotion instead of someone else being just a little bit better changing by just a percent two, three percent can accelerate you through effectively compounding and so that's what we do when we work with our students when we work with companies it's not about we're going to change you overnight We provide this mental shift, how to think about something differently, like networking It's just friendships in a business context. We change your mental perspective and then we give you a few basic techniques. We talked about some, but there's a lot more in the book and the blogs, and that's going to help you just improve by a few percent. But that compounds over your career. And imagine if everyone in your organization, everyone on your team was suddenly 2% better at communicating. 2% 2% better at expanding their network and bringing in opportunities, what would that do to your bottom line? And so that's how we impact organizations.
1: That's that's wonderful. Yeah, the the idea of incremental improvements done at a large scale equals exponential change. So, Mark, thank you so much. I really do appreciate you coming on talking about your book, and I really looking forward to seeing what comes out next day. Thanks again.
0: That's it for today's episode of Innovators Unleashed. Don't forget to subscribe, leave a review and share the podcast with others. Follow your host on social media at The Clinton Henry or visit him on the web at www.clintonhenry.com. Until next time.